Welcome to Economics in Action, a podcast where we explore topics and ideas related to economics. In this episode, we're going to flip up the hood of the free market and explore the dirty innards of capitalism. Since its inception, the capitalist mode of production has had many critics, most notably Karl Marx. For many detractors, capitalism conjures up negative thoughts of the exploitation of workers, greedy business tycoons, and unbounded accumulation. Is capitalism the cause of all of society's ills? Well, it depends on who you ask. While those well-versed in modern economic tradition tend to have positive feelings about capitalism, today we're going to talk about why capitalism isn't as perfect an economic system as its proponents profess. Today we're going to touch on what I think are capitalism's three main defects, namely inequality, externalities, and financial instability. Before we get into it, you might have noticed that common complaints such as excessive greed and worker exploitation aren't on the list of capitalism's drawbacks. And there are good reasons for that. Let's start with greed. It's hard to define what greed is or how to differentiate it from the socially acceptable forms of self-preservation or drive. It's a matter of degrees, I suppose. Whatever the case, it's not the bright product of an economic system, but is an already built-in characteristic of humans. More importantly, capitalism helps to ensure that greed lead to the harnessing of mutually beneficial outcomes, at least in most cases. Sure, I can be a greedy tech entrepreneur, but my greed benefits others by channeling it towards the production of things that people actually want. The Elon Musks of the world want to pay as little to their workers as possible, but they always have to compete for those workers with other greedy tech entrepreneurs. Some people will always be quote unquote greedy, but in a well-regulated free market, Instead of stealing and pillaging, you must produce something beneficial to humans for your greed to pan out. And it might seem that greed is enhanced or promoted in a capitalist system, but that's just because of the tremendous economic growth that has resulted from the system. People can acquire vast amounts of wealth today as a result of the system helping to create vast amounts of wealth. Exploitation can similarly be seen as an attribute of the animal kingdom. Competition for scarce resources leads humans to dominate and oppress others to various ends as a source of either cheap labor, maybe military service, or even as objects for their own enjoyment. Most ancient civilizations had some forms of slavery, colonial powers exploited the local populations, and feudal Europe was dominated by the elite at the expense of the serfs. It has been with us since the very beginning, and probably isn't going away anytime soon. It will exist in any economic system. The main argument that capitalism leads to the exploitation of workers stems from Marx's idea of surplus value. He argues that capitalists extract value in production in excess of the value provided by workers, while not contributing to productive activity. The problem with this is that capitalists, or what today we call entrepreneurs or business owners, do contribute to productive activity in two very important ways. First, they take all of the risk of capital investment, which is often underrated. Most businesses don't pan out. There's either too much competition, people don't want the product, or the timing for the idea isn't right. In any case, the entrepreneur takes all of those losses. 
the workers get paid even before any revenues start coming in. Second, most entrepreneurs are not passive investors, but active managers. They organize the entirety of the production process and therefore possess many important skills. While there are passive investors, like the owners of publicly traded stock, there are significant risks involved. But nowadays, this type of investing is highly democratized and is virtually free. Anyone who has savings can invest and be a quote-unquote capitalist. Okay, so while greed and exploitation uh, aren't the main areas of concern, there are a number of issues with capitalism. Real issues that can lead to the destabilization of social systems. Let's start with inequality. Economists typically measure income inequality by using a Gini coefficient. The Gini coefficient is derived from the Lorenz curve, which plots the cumulative percentage of total income earned against the cumulative percentage of the population. Let's talk about how the Lorenz curve is constructed. Imagine you line up every person in a country from the poorest to the richest. If you then plot a curve that represents the cumulative percentage of the total income against the percentage of the population, you get the Lorenz curve. In a situation of perfect equality, this curve would be a straight diagonal line going up, known as the line of equality. The poorest 10% of the population would earn 10% of the income, the poorest 20% of the population would earn 20% of the total income, and so on. Now, the Gini coefficient is essentially the ratio of two areas. Area A, which is the area between the line of equality and the Lorenz curve, and area B, which is the area under the Lorenz curve. A Gini coefficient of zero represents perfect equality, which means the Lorenz curve coincides with the line of equality. A Gini coefficient of one indicates perfect inequality. One individual or household earns all of the income. On a graph, the further away the Lorenz curve is from the diagonal line of equality, the higher the inequality. The U.S. currently has a Gini coefficient of 0.39, down a bit from 0.1 before the pandemic. Remember, the closer to 1, the higher the inequality. The U.S. Gini coefficient was declining through the 1960s and reached a low of 0.34 in 1980 before climbing back up to what it is today. The best way to interpret this data is to see what the Gini coefficients of other countries are. Some of the most unequal countries are South Africa and Namibia, with Gini coefficients around 0.60. And some of the most equal countries are Slovenia, Norway, and Finland, all having Gini coefficients around 0.25 to 0.27. Okay, so what's the negative impact of inequality? Is inequality bad in and of itself? Well, I think for most people the answer is no. Basic intuition says that someone who works hard should probably earn more than someone who slacks off. Someone who is talented should be paid more than someone who is less so. So the question is how much and when does inequality start to weigh on the system and even damage it? One of the issues with inequality is that when it gets bad enough, it can actually lead to reduced economic growth and consumption. Limited access to education and other opportunities reduce the long-run growth prospects of an economy. 
In addition, lower income households tend to consume larger amounts of their income, and if it gets bad enough, high inequality can lead to a drop in aggregate demand and therefore economic output. Even more harmful is the lack of social cohesion that can occur. Many economists tend to forget that economic exchange and cooperation, which are necessary for any economic system, rely on people opting into the system. When people begin to opt out, this can lead to political instability, including social unrest, protests, and even political revolutions. When those with higher income and wealth have disproportionate political influence through campaign contributions, lobbying, and other means, this leads to policies that further entrench inequality. The Citizens United versus the FEC decision in 2010 fundamentally reshaped the US political landscape by asserting that corporate funding of independent political broadcasts during election cycles cannot be limited under the First Amendment. In practical terms, this opened the floodgates for unlimited spending by super PACs, often funded by wealthy individuals and corporations. Evidence of its impact can be seen in subsequent election cycles where spending skyrocketed. For instance, in the 2012 election, super PACs reported spending over $600 million, a significant increase from prior years. While the ability to discern direct policy outcomes from such spending is complex, concerns have risen about how this financial might sidelines the priorities of average citizens. Issues such as tax policies benefiting the wealthiest, deregulation favoring large corporations, and limited action on wage stagnation can be viewed, at least in part, as outcomes of a political system increasingly influenced by big money. The outsized political influence of a few, amplified by Citizens United, raises concerns about the diminishing voice and priorities of the broader population in democratic processes. Therefore, not only are extreme disparities in income and wealth inherently unjust, especially if they result from structural barriers or unequal opportunities, but when a significant portion of the population doesn't have the resources to develop their skills or talents, society as a whole loses out on potential innovations, contributions, and advancements. The second problem with capitalism is that the operations of the free market can lead to poor social outcomes when costs are not borne by the parties who make economic transactions, but instead are borne by society at large. This situation is known as negative externality. An example of this is the Deepwater Horizon oil spill in 2010 in the Gulf of Mexico. Resulting from an explosion of the BP-operated oil rig, this catastrophic event leaked millions of barrels of oil into the Gulf over several months. The immediate effects were devastating. Marine life, including dolphins, sea turtles, and countless fish were killed en masse, while delicate coastal ecosystems such as mangroves and marshes faced long-term damage. The spill also severely affected local economies, with fisheries and tourism industries suffering immense losses. While BP faced significant penalties and cleanup costs, the broader environmental, economic, and social damages extended well beyond those direct costs. Many of the repercussions, like long-term impacts on marine ecosystems and the health implications for local communities, were externalities not fully borne by the responsible party. 
Conversely, there are what is known as positive externalities, where the market doesn't provide enough of a beneficial good. The development and dissemination of the internet provides a striking example of the positive externalities leading to significant economic growth. Initially funded by the U.S. Department of Defense for research and communication purposes, the internet rapidly expanded beyond its original scope. As it became more accessible to the public in the 1990s, a cascade of unforeseen benefits ensued. Entrepreneurs started countless online businesses, ranging from e-commerce platforms to digital services, creating millions of jobs worldwide. Beyond direct commercial benefits, the internet fostered improved communication, leading to innovation and collaboration across borders. Educational resources also became more accessible, spurring self-led learning and the rise of online education platforms. The broader societal gains from the internet in terms of job creation, innovation, and improved global connectivity greatly exceeded the initial investment, showcasing the profound positive externalities that led to expansive economic growth. Without the government forcing companies to internalize external costs that harm the environment, or subsidizing external benefits that can lead to more economic growth, society is worse off under capitalism than it otherwise would be. Finally, capitalism is prone to financial crises that can lead to periods of economic instability and lower standards of living for ordinary people. So why is capitalism so prone to crashes, bank runs, and financial meltdowns? The fault of capitalism is that it amplifies a built-in human flaw when it comes to decision-making, called herd behavior, or the tendency of a group to act collectively without a centralized direction. Unlike greed, which exists at the individual level, herd behavior is enhanced and accelerated at the social level. At the heart of these collapses lie over-optimism and excessive risk-taking, often fueled by easy credit and speculative bubbles in assets like real estate or stocks. As these bubbles grow, they detach from underlying real values, making the system vulnerable. When confidence wavers, these bubbles can burst, leading to sharp declines in asset prices and in turn causing financial panic in markets. Additionally, the intricate interconnectedness of global financial institutions can amplify local shocks into systemic crises. Market inefficiencies, information asymmetries, and the short-run profit motivations of players in the financial sector can further exacerbate these vulnerabilities, leading to periods of boom and bust that characterize capitalist economies. The Dutch tulip bubble, or tulip mania, in the 1630s is a classic example of an economic bubble. Introduced to Europe in the 16th century, tulips quickly became a status symbol in the Dutch Republic. By the 1630s, speculative trading drove prices for certain tulip bulbs to astronomical levels, with some even costing as much as a house in Amsterdam. This frenzy was amplified by the futures trading system, allowing for contracts on future tulip deliveries rather than the actual bulbs. However, in February of 1637, the bubble burst, and tulip bulb prices dramatically dropped, causing significant financial losses for many investors. 
these crises not only lead to the destabilization of the economic system, but can also increase economic inequality and stir political instability. The 2008 financial crisis is an example of this. Austerity measures following the crisis disproportionately hit the working class, with the wealthy recovering faster, deepening inequality perceptions. The world faced its worst recession since the Great Depression, leading to massive unemployment and a slow and often jobless recovery, despite aggressive central bank interventions. Politically, disillusionment with the perceived elite mismanagement and economic hardships fueled populism, evident in movements like the US's Tea Party, Europe's anti-austerity protest, and UK's Brexit vote underscoring the profound interconnectedness of economic turndowns and political upheavals. Okay, so in conclusion, capitalism has several issues that keep it from attaining the title of perfect economic system. Inequality and financial crises alone can destabilize the entire political and economic system, leading to capitalism's demise, and externalities like climate change might even bring down the entire ecological system. However, just like any fragile social system with power dynamics, competing interests, and very high stakes, we need to recognize the good parts and try to change the bad parts. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked this episode. If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment telling us how you feel.